Welcome, everybody, and thank you for listening. I've got Mark Knight coming up, but before that, I just want to remind you that if you haven't yet done so, make sure to hit that subscribe button so you can keep up with all my latest interviews. I've got some really interesting uh, guests on deck that I hope people will enjoy, uh, or it will be a colossal failure, but it but I'll be like that band uh, on the Titanic. Like, I'm going to go down with the sinking ship if it happens. So, speaking of bands, Bang Tango, really underrated band. Uh, they came out in the 80s on that Sunset Strip scene, but they really had kind of a different sound. They had elements of funk and R&B, and uh, I really think they could have transitioned to that 90s alternative in the way like bands like Faith No More and Red Hot Chili Peppers did. And there's a whole story about the band and we'll talk a little bit about that today with Mark, but uh, you should what you should really do is go on YouTube and watch the Bang Tango movie for free. It's called Attack of Life. Uh, it was directed by Drew Fortier, who I've had on the show. And um, check that out. It's really interesting. But anyways, after Bang Tango ended, uh, Mark started doing wordworking stuff, which is interesting to me. And so we talk a little bit about that. And of course, then he did his music at night. And uh, he started to do more of the kind of singer-songwriter stuff. And he's actually put out, like, I think he said eight or nine albums after Bang Tango, including his newest solo record, which is called Days of a Dreamer. And it's under uh, Mark Knight and the Unsung Heroes. So check that out. The website is in the show notes. And I'll let Mark tell you more about that, plus Bang Tango and more. Check it out. Welcome, Mark Knight, to the Chuck Shoot Podcast. How are you doing? Great. How are you, Chuck? Great. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about this. I just uh, rewatched your movie just literally right before this, the attack of life. So I got the whole, uh, but I'd already seen it, but I watched it again to kind of re- refresh my memory on some of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The, the wild documentary. Yeah. <laughs> was it, you consider <laughs> it wild? There's just a lot of stuff on there that, mm-hmm. you know, covered a lot of ground, a lot of different eras of the band, different people. And yeah. Yeah. It was fun. Um, I, I can't remember if I got this from the documentary or somewhere I heard you talking about before Bang Tango though, you, you were in some band called Mickey Knight and you opened up for Poison. You got to tell me about yeah. that. Cause I interviewed um, Brian Forsyth from Kicks, and he remembers like having uh, Poison open for them when they were called Paris. And I remember him go, it was funny because he goes, yeah, they, they weren't very good back in the day, but I'm assuming when at this point they had gotten better, this was cause this wasn't in LA when they had CC DeVille, right? Uh yeah, but I would go see them before when they had, I think his name was Matt, the first guitar yeah, player. Yeah, And they got CC. And uh, yeah, I was in a band called Mickey Knight. We came out of Sun- Sunset Strip Band, um, uh, kind of like my high school band, basically. I mean, we were kind of in our, uh, I don't know, early, late teens, early 20s. We had this band. It was it was doing pretty well. We were playing all the clubs. Um, we opened up for Rat, you know, uh, who else? Um Poison, uh, Wasp, you know, all, all those kind of main headliners at the time. And you're in high school? No, no, no. We were, it was kind of our band out of like my first band out of high school. Okay. Like, kind of the guys I went to high school with. Were you 21 though? Cause that's always interesting when, when you're playing in a band and you're playing a bar and you're not even 21. Oh, we were like, I mean, I was playing the Troubadour when I was 16 in a band called Crude Witch, a metal band. Really? We, we'd open for Steeler and Wasp and some of those bands. And, um, you know, we play uh, the whole Sunset Strip of when I was like 16, 17, 18. And the Mickey Knight was formed, you know, 19, 20, 21, that, that era before, uh, you know, before the Bang Tango thing. There's another band there, too, called City Slick. Right. Yeah. Was, I heard about with uh, Kyle Kyle, right? Mm-hmm. Who was the bass so we, player. Yeah. So we broke off from that, you know, put, put Bang Tango together. 
Yeah, it's interesting that, um, so it was like you were friends with a guy from Rough Cut and they had just auditioned like, this is so smart. They auditioned like 300 singers and you just said, hey, well, who were some of the best ones that you auditioned? That that cuts out so much work for you, right? <laughs> I figured, cut to the chase. Yeah. I mean, here's, was a buddy of mine. We'd seen him in the clubs all the time. And I'm like, okay, they just tried all these cats out. You know, we need a singer really bad. And I don't want to go through Cattle Call and all these different people. So he told me the, the two that uh, were runner-ups that didn't make it. Um, and he told me about Joe. And uh, Who was the other one besides Joe? Um, do you remember that band? Um, what were they called? Johnny Johnny Crash. No. Uh, Johnny Crash was a band in... in um, in Hollywood, they were kind of an ACD. I forget, I forget the singer's name. Oh, Ricky, ah, I forget his name. Okay, singer Johnny uh, Crash. Yeah, okay. Johnny Crash was the band. Okay, and he uh, he was he was he was our second one we were going to consider, but but we went with Joe. We got Joe. We were fine. You know, we didn't even have to look anymore. So we only we didn't try out anyway. We just hmm. he came down, and that's how it kind of came together. Yeah. So then, how'd you come up with the name Bang Tango? And do do you still like that name, or do you feel like? Maybe you guys would have a different story if you had a different name. <laughs> I don't know that that name Joe came up with actually. Okay. You know, he kind of put those words together and brought it into rehearsal. And I said, and the whole band just goes, "Yeah, that sounds cool for now. Let's just go with that." As long as people don't call us, you know, Wango Tango, you know, the Ted Nugent thing, or anything. yeah, yeah. And he, you know, he has this story about how that name came together. Um, and it, you know, has a dance feel, and it was heavy because it banged, and we rocked, and we were kind of funky and danceable, and. That's kind of how he, he came up with that. Yeah. So that's an interesting because you said that you wrote a lot of 90% of the guitar riffs, I think you said, and, and you were a metalhead. You're listening to Ozzy and Maiden and Priest and all that stuff. Uh, so where did yeah. the funk and the R&B influences come from? Joe really wanted to kind of bring in this kind of groove oriented sound to the band. Okay. He wanted it to be uh, somewhat danceable, I guess would be the word he was kind of using or real gro- grooving. So it wasn't just so straightforward rock. And, uh, you know, that with, um, you know, the heavy edged riff stuff and the classic rock influence with, uh, you know, some of the rhythm section between Tig and Kyle Kyle, you know, they had that kind of funky Chili Peppers influence. And we just blended the sounds, you know, of, uh, hmm. you know, heavy riff rock, heavy, some later stuff got real heavy, you know, and then yeah, it was all over the place. So, yeah, that's kind of how that came together. Yeah, that's cool. And then, so you guys were like hanging out um, at the cat house. I'm always fascinated with stories about the cat house because I never got to go. I was too young. Uh, but you said the cult was there and like Ricky Rockman like wouldn't let you guys play. He was the owner, obviously, of the, of the cat house. And he wouldn't, he was reluctant to let you guys play at first, but then you won him over. And now he loves you guys. Uh, yeah, back then, you know, that was kind of the story. <laughs> I haven't talked to Ricky Rockman in 25 years. I don't know how really? much he loves us. No, I haven't seen him or talked to him in a long time. Maybe not that long, maybe 20 years. Um, that's kind of how it went down. You know, I guess he, you know, we weren't quite in the Hollywood click, you know, because some of the guys are from North Hollywood. Oh. And he was really tied into this immediate, like, kind of uh, real sunset strip. Guys like, you know, Fast Pusscat, obviously, Taming was part of the Cat House. Right. And, uh, LA Guns, uh, Guns and Roses. So there was, like, this little tight-knit thing, and, and we weren't quite in it in the beginning. And then uh, I think he saw us somewhere at a, some some gig. We opened for somebody, and he's like, "These guys were kick ass or whatever." So then he gave us the gig, and then we we were locals. I mean, we went there every Tuesday night, and then mm-hmm. then it moved to Bordello on Thursdays or whatever. We were just so we just became part of that whole scene, and he he took a liking to us after we we played and kicked ass for him a couple shows, and then he started 
you know, whenever we kind of wanted to get up there, we, we'd all be out one night. He just, we'd throw, get up on stage and play a couple songs, you know? Ah, oh, it sounds like such a fun time. So tell me this story, like, um, of those days, like on the sunset strip, is it true that you guys would get so drunk that you would have wrestling matches in the street? <laughs> yeah. Did I say that? I think I, that's like, yeah, yeah, I think I read would, that somewhere. We, yeah. Yeah. We would rage. I that mean, sounds was, painful with the pavement and the asphalt. Well, we, we have our bang tango cool guy leather jackets on, man. We, mm. we, we protect ourselves. From okay. <laughs> so we would, uh, we just go out every night. We go somewhere. We go to the Coconut Teaser Monday nights. We go to the Cat House Tuesday nights. Wednesday nights, English Acid. Thursday nights would be the Rainbow Night. We'd all go there. Friday would probably be gigging or whatever. Even Sunday, there was this place called, uh, uh, I forget, 56 something. It, it was this club. And we all go there. So we just get, you know, we just, we're a bunch of young dogs in the street. We were a gang, you know, we just get all buzzed and like just, get into stuff and just wrestle and just dog pile and just be like just young guys, you know, how did you go out every night? Doesn't that get expensive? Did you guys have to work day jobs or something or what did you, we worked day jobs. Yeah, oh. absolutely. And we get in free most of the time. And, uh, a lot of the people really took in life into the band. So the, the clubs would let us in and then we'd, uh, you know, we'd have enough money for a couple beers and then people would buy us beers and we just like, whatever, however we could get by, you know, sounds like fun time. So it only took nine months after the band formed and then you guys got a record deal. Did you have like a goal of getting a record deal within a certain time or was it the goal just, Hey, let's see how big we can get this band and see what happens. We didn't have a a time limit. We just basically wanted to take a kind of a back route to this instead of, you know, doing all these showcases or, you know, we weren't, or like, you know, pay to play was going all out. So a lot of bands were free. Mm. pay to play. They get like, you know, the more, the more people you'd have to, the, to your club shows, the more interest you'd get from labels. And that was like kind of the, like the way people were getting record deals. You know, they'd have mm-hmm. two, 300 people they'd sell out and they'd still want to get deals, but they were get interest like poison and warrant and those type of bands. We, we did this back route where we got a lawyer, entertainment lawyer that just basically said, you guys play as much as you possibly can anywhere club laundry and get up on stage, do three, this thing called Ruben blue nights where he'd have bands play three songs. And then there'd be like 10 bands. And he would bring these industry people down and get them down to the club for like, you know, 15 minutes to come see us. So we took this back route rather than doing the pay to play. And, mm-hmm. uh, and that's kind of, we, that's how we did it. It was different. And that's why it happened so fast. Cause we actually, he got, he got interest by doing these like pop-up shows, like we'd be out doing our day job and he'd be like, you guys are playing club laundry at nine o'clock tonight. Just get down there. I got blah, blah, blah. This lawyer guy. Was he like a fan? He like reached out to you or how do you come across a lawyer? was his name. And he, he, I don't, Joe kind of like somehow met him or met somebody that through him. I think we had this one woman that managed us. She was like kind of a, like a beginner manager and she knew him and Mm -hmm. we, just networked, you know, he did a lot of talking. <clears throat> he didn't have a day job. He'd sit on the phone and call people all day and drink coffee and get, get people. Joe? Riled. Yeah. Joe? Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So he just, he hustled it, you know, oh, in the beginning. That's really cool. So yeah. then you guys record the Psycho Cafe uh, album in near Austin, Texas, I think it was. And it was, it sounds like it was spring break. So there's craziness going on. And so Howard Benson, who's really famous producer now, um, he, I, I heard you say, or Joe say that he was, putting him through 12 or 13 hours 
uh, a day of recording? I mean, so was this like stressful recording an album or is it fun or is it both? Well, there's a lot of, a lot of pressure, you know, cause you're trying to like, this was our debut record. And yeah, he basically took us out of LA and flew us out to Austin, Texas to do this record. Howard Benson. It was one of his first bands. So he was, he was like uh, cutting his teeth on us and trying to get his career kickstarted. Sure. So it was, uh, it was uh, really interesting. We went out to Austin, Texas, these five guys from LA that were just like wild and crazy coming off the sunset strip. And we were all put into this one, uh, this one housing apartment and, we worked 13 hour days. Yeah. We just, we, we were there for, I think like 29 days and we basically finished all the, all the vocals, all the guitar, all pretty much the entire record was done there. And then we brought it back to LA and mixed it at sunset sound. Hmm. Wow. So is it, thir- do you have weekends off or is it still like just every day, 29 days in a row? I think we worked every day, but not everybody's in the studio at the same time. Like it'd be like oh, two okay. days of vocals. Is that because it's so expensive to rent those studios? So you kind of have to make use of it while you're there. Yeah. It's like a block rate, you know? And I think, I think we, we blocked it out for like a month or something. Mm. And, you know, they had to pay for our housing, you know, or, you know, and it was kind Uh, of expensive. So we just had to like captive, you know, use that time wisely and just go at it. Yeah. Yeah. So then you record the video for uh, someone like you. And I forgot this story. From, I just noticed this in the movie that uh, Shelly Duvall from The Shining, the actress, was dating the director. And she came over with like a case of beer and got yeah. you guys kind of drunk before the recording of the uh, video. Yeah, when we were there, it was a long day. We shot like uh, for someone like you. Um, uh, Mike Stein is his name. I think the guy that directed it. And we had worked really hard. And it was really crazy because each guy had to perform separately. Mm-hmm. That's how they shot this video. So everybody in the band was like hoping the next guy would like do their job and like shine. And so I went first because so, I do the intro and stuff. And I was just like, all right, here we go. And it was this wild, you've seen the video. It's yeah. neon lights and stuff. So anyways, each guy had, had done their performance. Joe got up there at the end and just kicked ass. We're like, whoa, man, he, he was great. You know, and the whole thing was a lot of fun. And then and then she came by and, and had brought like a case of Takati Mexican beer. And we just we just like whooped it up. But I mean, at, at that point, we'd already got the most of the work handled. So it was just fun. Yeah. Nice. So then, yeah, you do these uh, the club. You did some club tours, Bullet Boys, Britney Fox, Badlands, but opening for Cheap Trick. Was that the highlight? Was that your favorite tour of that time? Or do you like the club, the smaller club uh, gigs better? Oh, the best, the, probably the funnest tour we did was with Bullet Boys because they were kind of like coming out of the same scene we were, same kind of audience. And they'd push us every night and we'd push them. We just had a blast with them. That's when they were like, we were all just partying so hard. We were just, it was crazy. So we did like three weeks with them. It was, it was super fun. Um, and then we kind of, we were trying to get these arena opening slots. But yeah. We just, Management couldn't make it happen. You know, we wanted to huh. go out with like, you know, anybody that was like the Colts or any of those bands. And we just, we just couldn't get those big shows and we were getting frustrated. And then we, you know, we landed this, the one with cheap trick and we love cheap trick. I mean, who, who doesn't, I mean, yeah. rock and roll. but it was kind of this more adult contemporary kind of audience. They were older and, oh. and I, we went out and it wasn't, it, it was fun, but it was kind of like, we, we want to be around the same kind of bands that, or striving or, or bands that yeah. were at like the rat level like right or something because you got there's an uh, age gap there you guys are kind of in this young 20 something yeah, we crazy party generation. mode right 
And they yeah. put us out with this band called Bad English, which was like complete. Oh, yeah, that's like a pop band. Weirdness. You know, the guy, you know, Neil Sean from Journey and um, Tom um, Waits from ba- The Babies. And they were just a super pop, like adult contemporary, like, you know, people sitting down all like, and we were just like, ah! we're like ready to rip up the stage. And we did like three weeks with them. And that was awkward. <laughs> it was just the wrong band. Yeah, us, that seems like an, a weird mix. So then the second album, uh, Dancing on Coals, um, you guys got a different producer uh, because I think Howard said, well, he didn't hear like a hit on the on the record. Did you do you think that you should have gone back in hindsight and maybe tried to do like a Janie Lane with Cherry Pie and try to like create a hit song? Or are you proud of the way the album turned out? Uh, well, you know, that I, that's not exactly the way it went down. What was happening hmm. is uh, we went back in with Howard to do the next record. And, you know we had written maybe 15, 20 songs. He didn't hear any good song. He just didn't like any of the songs. It wasn't like a hit. He mm. just wanted songs with the the quality of Psycho Cafe. And he just didn't feel that we had them or huh. any of them. I don't think maybe one or two, but I don't even remember. And we were just getting frustrated because we were, we felt we had some good songs and we were working yeah. really hard to kind of come up with these songs. And it was, it was getting frustrated because we were just kind of getting shut down by Howard, not really digging what we were doing. And I think, at that point, something got weird. I don't know the exact detail, but uh, we ended up just, you know, kind of passing on Howard at the time. And he kind of wasn't sure about us. He just didn't think we had it. So we kind of both kind of went our separate ways, I guess you could say. So then we were in a hunt for a new producer. And John Jansen had done uh, Cinderella and uh, at the time, Faster Pussycat. And he had worked with some great classic rock guys from the past. Like, you know, he mixed some Hendrix stuff and Clapton. And he, we were kind of wanting to go more kind of that direction anyway so uh we really had to uh we had to like court him to basically to do the record sure and you know he wouldn't commit so me and joe flew out to uh new jersey and he was doing cinderella and we went to the studio and we hung out with him we just we were just like come on man like we want you to do the record he's like well he was he wasn't giving us an answer but he wasn't saying no so we went out and had dinner and we talked and stuff. And then he was kind of coming around, seemed like he was going to like at least bite at it. And he said, all right, send me, send me your recording, live recording, rehearsal recording. So I, we, I think we sent him like literally like 40 songs because we had been working the entire summer. We were working like six hour days, no days off in rehearsal. Uh, I mean, six hour days, not six. Yeah. And it was just, we came up with all these songs and he finally decided to do the record and came out to LA and then we, we narrowed it down to like 14 or whatever, but it was a long process. Yeah. So, and then you were kind of going for a different sound a little bit, like dancing on coals. It has like the saxophone and the keys in it. Now you didn't do that live with that stuff, right? You just leave those parts out and just play it stripped down. Yeah. Yeah. It was real stripped down and edgy and rock, you know, really grungier. You know, we wanted to go big production. We wanted to bring in horns and we wanted to bring in, you know, we had the Rolling Stones background singers. We had um, Uptown Horns play on it. We we brought in um, additional keyboard players, all sorts of stuff. We made this big production because we had we had a little bit of budget so we could really hmm. kind of expand. And we were going for like this big Rolling Stones production kind of thing. Uh, I think me and Joe were really into that at the time and wanting to go that way. And um you know, it, it kind of came out a little bit, a little bit too slick for some of the fans, hmm. as far as the, the the final production. If you listen to it, 
And, you know, um, it's funny because I've been playing with the stuff again because we're talking about maybe doing stuff soon um, again. And it it is really slick compared to Psycho Cafe. I mean, um, and it's more funky driven, like the bass is way up more. I mean, that's kind of how he, how, Jan, how uh, John, John Jansen, Jansen yeah. heard it. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I heard something. I heard you say something. This is interesting that people don't talk about a lot with guitar players, but I think it was around this time or maybe it was another tour. Um, you had developed calluses so bad on your hands from playing the guitar that you put a lit cigarette out on your hand. Yeah. So that's when we were crazy. Doing dance, when we were doing dancing on coals, um, we, we went to the first one. We went to Austin, like we talked about. Yeah. That's on coals. They flew us to uh, New Jersey to do that one. So okay. same thing. We all went to New Jersey in this house and literally, you know, we would have nothing to do all day. So I'd play like 13 hours a day. I'd just sit there in woodshed and just play to like every record, every guitar player. Like, and I developed these calluses that were so dense that uh, we were out at a club one night and, you know, we were talking to some girls or whatever. And I, and I, and I'm like, check this out. And I took the cigarette, boom, put it out. <laughs> That's how callous that my fingers were. That's crazy. Yeah, That's Is that pretty common for guitar players in, in like, professional bands at that time I, my my fingers were literally like sawed off like they're flattened out from playing for so many years wow like if you look at this hand they're all rounded yeah like normal people okay this hand they're like rah, rah. it's like somebody <laughs> took a file to my finger and sometimes i look man i'm just i mean i play so much I've yeah been playing 40 some odd years so you you just like you lose part of your fingertips but it becomes a callus you know interesting so also around this time, you got this record going out and uh, you guys are getting some really good reviews for it. So you, you went into the record. What is the story? Like you went into the suit, uh, the suits at the record label and you had like this stack of magazines from the UK and everything saying like, you guys are underrated and you know, you kind of like giving them the shit about like, you guys need to do something with this record and, and promote it better. And so their answer was to release another live record. That seems to be like a big misstep by them. Yeah, I mean, you just nailed it. That was the exact story. We were we were like on this UK tour, and people were going crazy. We were like trying to start. We were trying to start riots so that our label would be like, we got to do something with these guys. I mean, because we had the fan, we had magazines. Went in, we set this meeting up, and all the guys went in, and uh, I think everybody but Kyle Kyle wasn't there. Um, And we went in, and we brought this stack. Joe brought this stack of magazines. And we're like, man, you guys got to get behind us and push us. And we were like ripping on MCA. We were yeah. like going at them. It was pretty gnarly. Uh, and we came out of there and we were thinking to do a, a video for Midnight Struck off Dancing on Coals. That was the plan. Um, we came out of there and we got a call that they wanted to do another live record and kind of do this weird kind of how we broke Psycho Cafe with the Love Injection record. You know, they were trying to repeat that pattern or something. Hmm. And we're like, what? They're like, we're working a record right now. Why do you want to go in and do a live yeah. But the idea was to do like this live record with a version of Midnight Struck on it, which will be like the Midnight Struck release with this live record. You know, they come huh. up with these crazy ideas. And we were just like, well, all right. <laughs> so, well, because it sounds like MCA didn't really know how to handle rock bands. They had more like pop acts, right? Well, they're known for that. You yeah. know, they're known for not knowing how to break a rock band. You know, I think Tom Petty, they broke him, but he went and fought them tooth and nail at the end there. Um, 
but yeah, they were more of a they were more of a pop kind of label, you know. They they were they weren't known for breaking rock bands. And we always would go in there and be like, "We want to be your rock band, man. We're gonna be yeah. the ones that give you a name." And they were like, "Yeah," and then they were just like, Rang. "Like there were so many people involved with Bang Tango too, like the A and R guys, the management team, the lawyer. So many like people were. Plus, we had the subsidiary label called Mechanics." which was MCA Mechanics, which was our label, actually. Okay. Uh, Steve, Steve Sinclair, he signed us. And, and you know, his ideas were different from actually MCA. So there were all these mix of interest kind of. And hmm. We just kind of got lost in that shuffle, I think, a little bit. But then you did finally get the arena tour with uh, Rat and LA Guns. But unfortunately, it only lasted two weeks. <laughs> yeah, they canceled it after two weeks because people weren't showing yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, we went out and they're booking like 10,000 seat arenas and stuff. And, you know, rad at the time thought it was doable and LA guns. And they had this thing contraband, which was Michael Shanker. And uh, he was in this part of this, like kind of super group. Yeah. And they put this package together and they booked like giant, like, you know, huge stadiums all over the country. And I mean, for us, it was like going to Disneyland every day. It was the best time of our life. And we were really, Freaking out was so great, man. We go out there. First show was pretty good. There were like maybe five or six thousand. And then it just started petering and petering. And then like mm. two weeks out, we get this call from our management. They're like, they're pulling the plug on the whole tour, but they're keeping the LA dates at Irvine Meadows. So we were just devastated. We were like, what? We're going home? We're just uh, getting going. It was yeah. like literally the funnest time ever it in my career playing music, I think. Because really. Yeah, I mean, it was fun. We only have to play a half hour. You know, we'd go up there and just rock the hell out of the place. Then we'd hang out with all the bands and we'd come out at the end. And, you know, it was just a lot of fun. And, um, you know, we were playing really well at the time. And, uh, yeah, that was into that. Are you still friends with those guys? Uh, some of the LA, guy, LA Guns guys, I am. Um, yeah. The Rat guys, I never got to really know that well. They were just, they were the big headliners. And we didn't really spend a whole lot of time hanging with them but um but like uh you know kelly nichols is a is a bro of mine um mm. tracy was always cool you know they, they, they were cool ellie guns was real cool to us rat was just a little bit they were like in their bubble you know mm-hmm. go back to their dressing room we my cat wants them. to say hi <laughs> oh right on yeah you have cats too right got three cats yeah, yeah. So, uh, oh, another friendship. I thought this was interesting. You were friends with like Allison Chains. I always, I always hear stories about Allison Chains. They were kind of like a strip band for a while. And is it true that you guys, you and Joe, co-wrote a song with them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it's called, Hear the Vo- it's called "Hear the Voices," and it made the box set. Okay, because and- I, I looked at that. I, th- I think it's is it called or is it called "Fear the Voices"? Because there's Fear one. The Fear, yeah, but Fear it says voice. you guys aren't credited on that. No, we didn't get credited. This is what happened. Me and uh, Mike Starr was uh, a friend of ours, the bass player, because Joe Joe actually dated his sister at the time, and oh. he would hang out with us all the time. So he came to he came to rehearsal one day. They were in LA doing their that record Dirt, yeah. and um, Mike Starr came to a Bang Tango rehearsal, and he was kind of hunting around for some ideas. He like wanted to bring a song to the band in a sense, you know. So uh, after rehearsal, me and Joe and Mike just hung out and. Um, we put that song together and then he brought that back to, to hit to the band. And then they, they wrote it up and, and then we got a special thanks on dirt. That was really, Oh, that. well, that's yeah. cool. If you look on the back of dirt on the special thanks. Um, me and Joe are on that, our names. Oh, that's cool. So then the third record, um, which I guess I just now am learning about this and hearing it. It's on YouTube. Uh, Love after death. You say that's your best work. 
in Bang Tango. Howard came back to produce it. But then, of course, again, the record label, they don't know what they're doing. They shelved it. Um, do you think in a way, like, maybe some of your success hurt you prior, like, as Bang Tango? Because then you were kind of labeled in this, like, maybe if Bang Tango was more of an indie band, uh, and then that was your big, uh, you know, jump into the the major label records that maybe you would have been more successful, kind of like Pantera. Pantera was a glam rock band, but they were kind of not known as a glam rock band. Then their first album as a on a major label was Cowboys from Hell. I I don't think we were ever like really a glam band. I mean, if you ever saw Bang Tango live back when we started, you'd be like, they're down and dirty, and we were heavy. You know, I mean, the stuff we played off Psycho Cafe was a lot a lot more heavier live than it even is on that recording. But, you know, we were misconceived in so many different ways because partly because of the way we were we were photographed sometimes, you know, mm. we, you know, we look gothic or we look made up or we look glammy or whatever it was that they wanted to put us in. So um, was that the record label doing that, like putting you in those costumes and things? I think, I think, it, was, <laughs> I think it was partly us wanting to do it, too. I mean, we had the uh, we, we we go through all these different kind of styles you know and yeah. some of it was kind of a little bit over the top i mean some of the guys you know, would 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 dress up a little bit more than others um and it, it could look very glam at po- some point i mean not all of us but some of us or whoever was like you know doing the makeup that day or whatever the theme was that maybe um uh, we decided or the label decided mm-hmm. but um but we were never like a, a made up and we always did what we wanted to do mm-hmm. but sometimes it would get a little glammy i guess so but honestly we were we were a pretty stripped down dirty rock band you know when it came down to it and if you ever saw us back then and even like the dance on cold stuff especially we would play a lot heavier live and then a new generation we just took that over the top um new, not new uh, love after death new generation is the song yeah love after death we really went heavy we want you know we were really you know drop d tunings we really wanted to just kind of just kick some ass. I don't know. It was a time, you know, the whole, the whole kind of grunge thing was kind of coming in and we were, we felt we were kind of associated with that in a sense with the Alice in Chains guys. And, yeah, you know, to be honest with you, Alice in Chains and Mother Love Bone opened for Bang Tango on our first tour. Um, oh man, that would like, be an amazing yeah, show to see. They, they went on at like eight o'clock and they were these kids, you know, and then Mother Love Bone, you know them, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they oh yeah, they were the second band, and then Bang Tango was the headliner. So you know, there's this weird affiliation oh. uh, between between the Seattle scene a little bit and Bang Tango. We were we weren't foreign to it. We felt we could have we were kind of a little part of it, even though some of those bands probably couldn't stand us, you know, because we were from Hollywood. But uh, you know, that sound was leaning towards more of that that kind of vibe, uh, that Love After Death record. Yeah, and so the record was released in the UK, so you guys got to do a, a tour in Europe. Uh, but I think it sounds like at that point you were kind of just over the band. You said that you played a guitar solo out of key to see if anyone would notice, and no, man, no one noticed. Research, man, you really did some research. Yeah, man. Yeah, at that point, you know, we had we had lost Kyle Stevens. He had left the band a year earlier. Yeah. Uh, and it was just getting really like disheartening. Like, and I was also going into this whole singer songwriter trip and I was like living in Malibu on the beach and just like finding my whole new trip that I was like, and I was getting kind of tired of super loud over the top, you know, rehearsals and live gigs with this band with bang tango. And I just, I just felt like nobody was really uh, caring much about the sound anymore. Like 
so we were out on this tour and it was to the point where I could tell nobody in the band was even listening to each other. So I just went for it and did this solo, like a, a whole step down or some weird thing, just to see if any of the guys noticed. No, no, nobody said one thing. So I'm like, all right, you guys aren't even listening to each other. Do you, nobody seemed to care at that point. Yeah. You know, one, one, one gig we did, we did this gig in a, up in Scotland and there was a band that was kind of happening out there. And for some reason they got the headlining spot over us and we were, we were the headliners. We were on tour in Europe and uh, Joe wasn't too pleased with it. So he came in to like sound check or something. He said, we're just doing all covers tonight. We're not doing it. We did like one bang tango song. Really? Yeah. We did like 20th century boy. We did like uh and you guys knew all these covers already? You'd already played yeah, them? Yeah, because we had collected them over the years. Okay. Like Cowboy song, Thin Lizzy. We did like a, I don't know, an Android rock song or something. We did all like, only like five, we only played like six songs, I think. We did like five covers, and then we did like Someone Like You or one one of our songs. And we got off stage, and man, people were just yelling at us, hounding us. Well, fuck you, man. You guys didn't even play any of your own songs. And, and it was wow. It was like really getting dark. Uh, on that tour <laughs> so, so it ended up we came off of that and the band just went we're kind of, kind yeah. Of, yeah so then yeah and then joe he later reformed the band and reached out to you but you you declined because you then that's when you started doing the singer songwriter stuff and acoustic shows and um I, I think you had a band worry beads and then just then you went solo with the young sung heroes and you wrote all these songs and, and you toured you toured on these songs on the south mm-hmm. yeah, yeah a lot yeah i toured a lot um well, back to that thing with Joe. Um, yeah. Six months had gone by. Um, and then all of a sudden I get this call from him and he's like, hey, man, uh, do you want to play guitar in the band again? I'm, or, I'm like, what? What do you mean? And he's like, oh, I put the band back together again. We're opening up for Tesla. And I'm like, well, who's in it? And there were no original members. Hmm. No Kyle, Kyle, no Tig, no, no, nobody. And he's like, but I, I thought I'd ask you, man. You know, I felt, you know you deserve a shot or something like that to play. I'm like, what? You're asking me if I can play in my own band. Okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I kind of took it like, what the hell is this? So I just bowed out and said, nah, I'm not interested. And, and you, um, but did you kind of give him your blessing to, to continue on with the name and all that? Not really. Okay. I, <laughs> I wasn't like, but you didn't fight it either. You Oh, I, you know what? I'd fight it when he put out ads that he was playing with all the original members in the ad. Like I'd see it in the paper and be all picture of all the original guys. Bang Tango's playing the Roxy. I'd be like, I'd call him up and be like, you can't use my picture. You're, you're, no, none of us are even in the band. So that would bother me. Okay. It, it, there was some friction there, but eventually I just didn't care. You know, really, I was like, whatever. I think, I think Kyle, Kyle eventually went back and played with them again. They did some stuff. Um, hmm. He actually did some live record or something and he toured on one of those tours. And, but, um, I was just totally over it. I just yeah. went to him on a trip, like completely not even interested in it at all. You know, hmm. I didn't even want to really play the music anymore. I was just doing a whole new thing. Yeah. So you're doing the singer songwriting thing. And then, um, or did I hear that you, you do like woodworking and painting on, as like a side business? Is this like artistic stuff or is this more just like building cabinets and things? No, no, no. I got into like, so, so, Basically, when the band broke up, I needed to make some money. I just got sure. married, trying to do this whole new, this new singer songwriter trip, trying to put a band together. I need to make money. And I didn't want to get a job. I, my wife's like, "You got to get it." My my ex wife, she's trying to get me to get a job, and I'm like, "No." So I started 
I started making antique frames out of old barn wood, like these little picture frames. Oh. I didn't even have a tool of my name. Like, but Kyle Stevens had a woodworking business because he had quit the band and started a complete furniture company and stuff. So he he taught me the you know how to make these little frames, and then I started collecting barn wood, and then I'd start selling them to all the like, you know, the the neighbors and the you know, whatever, and and I started this business called Nightcrafts, and um, it just. I'd turn my garage into a wood shop and made a living at it. And then I got into uh, antique and faux painting and uh, got into the painting end of it to make things look old. So I didn't have to always find the old wood and started painting people's furniture. And then it went to painting walls to building giant, so I just build, you know, bigger furniture. And I got pretty good at it and started like doing pretty well for a while. So that uh, pretty much made a living while I would do my music at night. Okay. that doesn't sound so bad. I mean, so you're able to just work by yourself. You don't have a boss telling you what to do and everything. Uh, doesn't sound no, so I bad. Myself. You know, I get like a company want me to make like jewelry stands out of wood. I'd make like hundred of them or something. And okay. I, I hired my buddy. Uh, we call him Big Scott. He actually was my guitar tech for a while. So he came to work for me. So it was just me and him in the garage. We'd crank music up and just fire up the tools. And every day we'd work like long days. And, and then we'd do the music at night. That sounds. That doesn't sound like a bad life at all. It that sounds great. Fun, yeah. is, are, there, are you still living in Malibu at this point? Because that doesn't. That sounds even like. I more. just no. I so I just left Malibu and okay. moved back, moved to the valley again with because I'd gotten married and and the ex-wife wanted to move mm. into a house and I would have been fine living on the beach still in an apartment. But so you know that's where it all started. Yeah. Yeah. So then and I like this because you know you're in Bang Tango and you're you're metalhead right. You're listening to Maiden and Priest and Def Leppard, but now. You know, this is just like life. I feel like you get a little older, you start listening to different kinds of music. I did the same thing. And you start getting influenced more by like Tom Petty and Steve Earle and Elliot Smith. I think you said your daughter was a big fan and you yeah. like him too. I, I think he's brilliant. Yeah. I got into so many different styles of singer songwriters back then. Uh, you know, I was dipping into all sorts of stuff. And um, yeah, Elliot Smith was one of my favorites um, <clears throat> in that time around, I don't know, 96 or something. But, you know, I got into this whole different kind of almost alternative, countrified, alternative country, blues, like uh, all this mixture of different stuff, as well as I got into the whole jam band scene. Like I yeah. was friends with yeah. Matt Apps from Government Mule, started playing with him, uh, Dwayne Betts, um, Dickie Betts' son. I met all these people and I was kind of doing this combination of like real rootsy Americana jam band stuff with the band. And I... Tig was in the band from Bang Tango mm-hmm. and we'd go through a bunch of different members and worry beads. And that lasted for a while. And then um, eventually that broke up. Uh, Kyle Stevens even came into worry beads. Okay. I'll, I'll just tell you the whole quick story of the music. So then, so then it then became gravy. I did this kind of funky band called gravy. We did one record. We played like 50 shows in LA one year. And then, then I, let's see, then, then I started, you know, going back to, I just decided to do like my own thing because I felt like I was carrying the line share of the work in any band I was in. I was writing everything, booking everything. And then I wasn't getting like the commitment out of the guys as much. And so I just decided to use my own name and I played a couple of shows, just Mark Knight with mm-hmm. uh, Matt Apps from government. We did this tour. And, uh, but during that period of time, I did a lot of touring in the South. I go out there with worry beats. I go out there solo acoustic. Uh, Mark Malia, the guitar player that, was with me for a long time throughout those, those gigs and years. Um, he'd go out with me and, um, and then eventually just, I did the Mark Knight record bone rail tight. Um, 
And that was like, well, I did another one called Perfect American Family, this little EP, but the Bone Rail Tight Record was my first full length um, electrified band. And I brought in my friends, Tony Marcico and um, Matt Apps to be the rhythm section. And I brought in special guests. And then after that, I, you know, we did that a tour off of that. And then I wanted to put a band together again. So I thought of a name for the band. I figured the unsung heroes. And then that's how that band was formed. Yeah. So then tell me about the new record days of a dreamer. Uh, you said it started in 2018 and you recorded 2019 and the, the title song and the name of the album is just from just sitting around and writing songs and coming up with all these imaginary themes. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. Yeah. So after that I did uh well, I'll go back real quick. I did um, road to guys, unsung heroes. First one. Yeah. Did another solo one called Mark Knight, just real acoustic. Then I did in 2018, I did Don't Kill the Cat, which is the second Unsung Heroes full record. Okay. And then I've been writing, I'm always writing. So this newest one, I had collected all these songs between <clears throat> the release of Don't Kill the Cat, because I'd been writing through all those periods of time. And um, I just collected my my favorite songs and uh, put another one together. And and that's what I did all of uh, 2019 and 2020. Uh, right. The pandemic gave you more time to kind of fine tune yeah. the production. I demoed all the songs. I yeah. demoed 15 songs um, and then started recording. I mean, I had already been working on this record before Bang Tango reunited. So I had all these songs kind of already pretty much put together. But then we decided we've started to record them for real with, with the band, you know, and then that's what I did through. Uh, once we had all those bed tracks, I did all the overdubs at my house um, throughout the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the I think the first song on the record, I think that's my favorite is uh, Rusty Bones. It's like kind of a heavy rocker, but it's it's also really catchy. And then um, another song that's interesting, Wise Choice. I felt like that reminds me, I don't know if you noticed this comparison too, but it, the opening kind of reminds me a little bit of Eric Clapton's Change the World. Oh, really? Never heard that. Very cool. Uh, yeah, it was, okay. that kind of reminded me of that. It's got a, <laughs> the, the album's got a really good mix. It's kind of like, like I said, like Rusty Bones is so heavy, but then the other songs are a little bit more mellow, singer-songwriter type. What, what are your favorite songs off the record? Uh, there's... Uh, I like this song called Checking Out, which is kind of a deep cut. It's like number nine or something. Um, that's one of my favorites. I like uh, Another Man's Woman's pretty rocking. Uh, that one's actually like pretty rocking too. Um, wise Choice, like Rusty Bones, of course. That's a good riff rocker. Um, what else? Uh, those are I, Days of a Dreamer and Thousand Times. I mean, I like them all. You yeah. like them all, right? Yeah, that's like I, yeah. it's like the worst question to ask somebody who wrote songs. Yeah, like, uh, like, pick a favorite. It's, my How yeah, favorite one, exactly. So, if you are you going to do a tour or, or do some live shows for this record? Um, I've been doing. Uh, I don't know if you've seen, but I do this thing called uh, Pirates Pirates Cove. Cove yeah, uh, yeah. So that's just acoustic thing. So I've been, I've been, I did all that through all the pandemic. And um, last week I did like a version for the um, Days of Dreamer where I play like 10 songs or something like 10 songs off of it. Um, I'm going to do my actual first live gig to support this. It's just a acoustic show uh, at, at a winery um, on the March 20th. So it's just me solo. Yeah. Um, Nabu wines or something like that. Yeah. 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 No, no, uh, no band, no band set yet. I haven't even like, I haven't even played with the band and, over a year. So if you, if you would do live shows, would you, would it be all originals or would you throw in some covers or a bang tango song or would it just, well, I've been doing live gigs with unsung heroes for years and I rarely 
do any bang tango stuff. No, it's usually just, uh, you know, I have so many records out that I put these sets together of, you know, there's so much to choose from because I have, you know, yeah nine records I've done in my career post bang tango. So, sure. um, you know, I, I rare, no, I don't really do any bang. I, I do sometimes I'll throw in a bang tango song acoustic once in a while, you know, yeah, because I, I mean, I, I mean, you tell me, but I, I would imagine there would be a, the occasional Bang Tango fan that shows up to your shows, like wearing, maybe even wearing a Bang Tango shirt. Does that? That's got to happen sometimes, right? You know, I've done. I got a great story on that one. That's a good okay. One. Yeah. Okay, good. I love good stories. People have asked me that before. One thing I do, I think I did a Tack Alive once for a little bit. I was playing that um, acoustically. No electric with the band. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Just a, a while years ago, but I just. I, but one time I played this place. It was this like local place we always played, and we pack it out pretty much. It's called the, it's called the Six. It's in Calabasas, California. And one night this guy was there, and he was so hammered. I mean, he was out of his mind, hammered, screaming to me to play Bang Tango. He was just literally yelling at me, going, "Someone like, come on, Mark, come on!" And he was like in my face, <laughs> going, "Come on, man, give us a plan." What? And he was to the point where. I had to stop the show and go, look, man, I'm not going to do someone like you tonight. It's so it's not going to happen. So just stop. Right. So got to the point where they had to like escort the guy out, bring him out and take him out the back and just be like, you got to chill out, man. He was, he was out of his mind and he was just, he wanted to hear bang tango. <laughs> that was a, uh, you know, people ask me sometimes, you know, they'll, they'll say, they'll shout it out or something, but. You know, I'll give it a nod or something, but I really don't, really don't do the songs. Yeah. Probably because I can't sing that high. You know, I can't, I mean, he's right. Yeah. That's all, those yeah. are definitely hard songs to sing. So, but you did reform, you guys did reform as Bang Tango and you did a show at the Whiskey. And then I, I think you said you're not going to do a tour, but maybe you would do like some festivals or something or like maybe like a Monsters of Rock or something like that. Uh well, basically, we put we you know we put the band together, and we just wanted to do one solid show of, of the original band. It went real well. We sold out the whiskey in Hollywood. Super great show. Everybody came out. It was um, family and friends, and you know from there we were just going to continue to play out through <clears throat> 2020. Um, we weren't planning any big tours, you know, unless something really, really cool came our way. It was more about just doing selective shows. Um, you know, kind of like fly-ins, they call them, or, you know, fly into like DC and do yeah. a two-day two run or some club or or some bigger events would be like, you know, if we could get on them, you know, the festival type stuff. So those were, those. that was kind of our plan. It wasn't going to be like, we're going to put the band in a, in a van and travel around the country and play, you know, every, every dive bar there is. And it, that was never the plan. It was just kind of like selective shows and then see where it goes. And it ended up... Uh, you know, the pandemic shut that down. So that was just ice the band. And, you know, uh, that was it. I mean, for a year or so, and here we yeah. are. <laughs> so then would you try to, are you going to try to do both? Are you going to try to do some bang tango shows and uh, some solo shows or? Yeah. I, you know, there's always time to do um, my own stuff, you know, cause like I said, the band, the band isn't planning on being super busy, especially because no one can play as mm -hmm. you know, right now. Yeah, sure. But, you know, I still don't see it as some band that's going to be like, you know, so half these guys have, the, you know, their own businesses and have their jobs. And, um, but, you know, it's kind of like, we'll wait and see, see what happens, you know? Um, but 
you know, there's still plenty of time for me to do my, all my solo stuff, you know, and if, if that, if that, you know, if we get back to playing live again and things go well with this record, then, then of course I'll do that. Probably I'll work my schedule out, you know, cool between the two bands, but yeah, mm. answer your question. Yeah. Well, I'll work both bands. That's cool. Well, I hope you, uh, to see it. It'd be cool if you came to Phoenix and did a show either as bang tango or, or if you do your solo stuff, I'll come, I'll come check you out. That'd be fun. Awesome. I Very love cool. live music. So yeah. So do you tour that far? Like if you do a tour, do you, do you go to Arizona and other States like that? I mean, I used, you know, like I did so many, um, acoustic dates all over the South, like all the way to Atlanta. I did like, um, you know, I played a lot in Kentucky and Tennessee and, um, the Carolinas. So I've done all that region. I used to go out three times a year on these little tours, either with a band or by myself or with another guy acoustic. Mm -hmm. And then I've done, you know, stuff along the West coast as well. So yeah, I mean, Arizona is, that's not far. I mean, I, I could, I would do something like that, you know, for sure. Cool. All right. That'd be fun. So I got to ask, what is the story with the hats? I noticed that you're, you're, you're always wearing hats now. When did that, did that start with the singer songwriter stuff? Hmm. I always wore hats in Bang Tango. We Did you? Hats. <laughs> oh yeah. Did you ever see the flame hat? The famous flame. No. Flame. Which one's the flame hat? There was this hat that's like I used to wear called. It was a flamed white flamed hat. It's like I'll, have to check I'll send that you out. a picture. I'll, I'll send you a picture of it. Okay. That sounds I've always, fun. I've always worn hats, and then like, I, yeah, I started wearing more of these different fedoras and different style hats when I did the singer songwriter thing. It was kind of that's fun. Went with my thing, yeah. yeah. Then I started collecting them. Then I started getting into like the different kinds of cowboy hats, and I don't know. I just it's always kind of a fun little accessory thing that kind yeah. of goes with my trip, I guess. Yeah. That's cool. And then did I hear that your daughter has a musical career too? She Scarlett Ray. Yeah, Scarlett Ray Knight. That's my daughter. She's she got a uh, she put out a record in this band called Rose Dorn. Um, got signed to an indie label and kicked kick started her career, and then. Uh, she kind of went solo from that. And now she's um, basically doing, her, she goes under Scarlet Ray now. She's basically doing um, what the, what the, a lot of these younger bands do now is they, they'll do a video and a single and release them. Mm -hmm. She's got like, uh, I think like three videos. One's this newer one's called parachute. She's, she's in New York. She moved to New York. Um, she's only 19, but she's a uh, super talent. She played on, she sang on open wounds on my record. Oh, cool. And, she also directed my video for Wise Choice. I don't know if you've seen that. There's a I, video for Wise Choice. No, and I haven't seen that. She directed that. Okay. Yeah. I'll check that out. That's really yeah, cool. So, so, yeah. She used to open for me. Like, we play local bars. Uh, yeah. Didn't you say she started when she was like nine or something? Nine years old. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. Little, little Mickey Mouse voice. <laughs> she must <laughs> be talented, though, that if she can play. I mean, I don't think I could even hold a guitar when I was nine years old. I mean, she just took to it. First time I saw her play the drums she had this natural rhythm i'm like wait we got to give you a guitar because we had a drum kit in the living room ah. and my older daughter lucy she she i think she played a little drums and then she played guitar and then scarlet got on the drums one day and she had like four on the floor in perfect time and i'm like what the hell you got like natural rhythm so i gave her guitar and lucy was playing way more really wanted to be the guitar player my oldest yeah. daughter and scarlet just comes out of the room like a week later like strumming like cool stuff on her own. I'm like, whoa. So I kind of like, kind of like took interest in that right away. And then she would just hang out with me like a lot when she was really little. Mm -hmm. We'd just, I'd be in the backyard writing songs and she'd always just come out and bring her guitar and hang and just, I never forced it on her. I never said, you got to learn this. You got to go to school and be a guitar player. 
you know, take lessons. She just did it on her own. And Probably, just, yeah, because growing up with the music being around her, all the, I'm sure there's an interest there for sure. Yeah, I didn't force it on her. It yeah. wasn't like a stage dad, like, yeah, I'm going to turn you into a guitarist. It was so like, I, she took a couple, a couple, like, like a year off, I think, when she was maybe 11 or 12, and then picked it up and got really into her own songwriting and then started writing her own lyrics. And then, you know, now she's like really doing great yeah that's great so you you don't force the music on her uh but you're a raiders fan and your wife is a seahawks fan so what what (laughs) team do you make your daughter root for the books on us (laughs) i'm a big seahawks fan so i gotta i I noticed that yeah i'm from seattle originally so oh you are yeah i didn't know that yeah is your wife from seattle or why she's she's not from seattle she's from la she she got into it, I think, from a previous. Uh, somebody turned her on to the oh, okay. Seahawks before me. Sure. And then she knew that I was into football, so she was just like, was a Seahawk fan just because that's a team she grabbed back then. And, oh, okay. And, and she refuses to hop to the Raiders. I'm like, all right. Well, they used to be rivals back in the '80s. Yeah. Yeah. Is that when you became a fan back in the '80s? Yeah. 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 Well, I mean. I was a Rams fan originally in the oh, okay. 70s because my dad, you know, I grew up in LA. And, but then when the Rams left, I took to the Raiders kind of because they came to LA. Yeah. And and then when they went to Oakland, I stayed with them, kind of got really behind them and used to go up there once a year with a group of guys. That's cool because I, I talked to so many musicians and a lot of them don't. I see. I like sports. I like music. I like movies. So many musicians have no interest in sports. So I think that's cool. When I saw that, I was like, oh, he likes football. That's cool. Yeah. yeah, that's the only sport I really get in. I mean, Me I grew too. up surfing my whole life, so yeah, yeah I'm like a California guy, so I, you know, that's a sport, but it's not like I don't, I don't you know, I'm not into the pro surfing. You yeah, know, that's not one to watch. Life. It's more one to do. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But yeah. I love football. I got into that as a kid, and I kind of took to it again um, with the Raiders and Oakland and that whole thing. And you know, the older you get, it gives you something to do. Right? <laughs> yeah, you for know, sure. It's, it's then, a social thing. I, yeah, then I got into it with the, some buddies that are became Raider fans, and I had this little group, and we'd go watch them at the bars and that whole thing. And um, and um, yeah, that's that's kind of how I took back to football. But yeah, a lot of musicians aren't big sports guys, and um, I have some musicians friends, and they're just like, "What are you talking about?" And they, just, <laughs> they have no interest. Yeah, no, yeah. I know. I, I learned that real quick. Don't ask people about uh, sports because unless I know, like I see something about it, so. Cool. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I do like to end each uh, episode with a charity. And I think you'd mentioned the, uh, it's the ASPCA, which I can't, I know, I don't know what that stands for, but it's, it's a, it's for animals. I know that. And I love animals. So I love this charity. It's a it's basically a a charity to uh, protect the animals and um, you know, it's animal, animal rescue too. So the people supports people rescuing the animals and also uh, protecting them. So, um, yeah, we're big animal freaks. Me and my wife, Samantha, we've got three rescue cats. Um, and uh, it's just a good charity that um, if you can give to it, that's that's the one I would recommend. Okay, I'll put that in the notes. I'll also put your website so people want to check that out and um, grab your CD. Or did you say it was on vinyl yet? Or No vinyl, just CDs on okay. the website uh, at the store. MarkNightandTheUnsungHeroes.com yeah. is a store. Um, and then I have some merch. I have posters that I've been selling and uh, bang tango picks from 2020, which are kind oh, of that's rare. cool. Like signature on the back. Yeah. You should sell those hats too. Like with your signature or something. That would yeah, be cool. right. 
the hat boxes would be too expensive to ship. Oh, right? <laughs> shipping, right. Forgot. Okay. But that's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Mark, for doing this. I appreciate it. All right, Chuck. Thanks for having me. Great to find okay. uh, to get this done. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Have a good day. Yeah. Okay, you too. Take Bye-bye. care. Bye. So many great stories in this episode. I hope you all enjoyed listening to them as much as I did. Uh, Make sure to follow Mark on social media and check out his new album at his website. Again, the link is in the show notes along with the charity website if you're feeling generous. And if you're really wanting to be charitable, you can follow me on social media or subscribe to the show wherever you listen. Uh, Hit me up and uh, let me know what you think of the show. You can tell me to fuck off or you tell me it's great. I've heard them both. So Uh, and you can see the future episodes when you subscribe. So I've got some really fun guests scheduled, uh, but I'm always open to new ideas and I appreciate, uh, hearing suggestions from you guys. So thank you for listening. I hope you have a great day and remember shoot for the moon.